Welcome back, everybody. It's time for another installment of This Week with Wendy. One of our favorite shows where we find the real truth about the real SoCal state of mind with our favorite host, Wendy Ross, who after decades of working at real estate brokerages, oh, in Silicon Valley, Orange County, all over the place, she decided it was time we got to do something different here. And so she created Veracity Real Estate. Time was ripe for renewed commitment to bespoke client advocacy at all price levels. Yeah, we said even the high and the low. So that's what she did. She built a company of data-driven real estate investment advisors who are truth seekers and truth tellers. Truth be told, we can't wait to find out what they've got to give us each and every week. So bring in the data diva herself, (laughs) Wendy Ross. I'm coming up with different uh, ways to describe it. That might be my favorite. I like that. The data (laughs) Data, diva. Data diva. (laughs) She's back. She's back, people. Can we trademark that? I think we should. If only I knew a brand officer. Do you know anybody in branding? I do, I do. I heard she's really nice and smart, too. (laughs) She keeps me on my toes. <laughs> so, um, so all things Kara aside, how was your holiday weekend, Paul? My holiday weekend was uh, quiet. Nice. I tend to make it, at some point in life, you just want things to be quiet. I, well, I understand. Mine yeah. was quiet here. See, all right. Some some of us work weekends, and so we live vicariously through others. So, <laughs> oh, well. All right. Well, this week it's going to be fun like like all others. And I am sure by the end of today's episode, you will again elevate me to being your number one favorite show. <laughs> okay. This is my right. goal today. You're, you're, you're right around there. One, two, somewhere. Oh. Let's see if we can push into oh. the number, solid number one here. Well, you know me. I'm always bringing data. Like you said, I'm the data <laughs> diva and I'm bringing market analysis uh, to, to the real estate market that you don't find anywhere else. And, and a big part of how I do this and bring analysis you can't find anywhere else is by surrounding myself with experts who bring new and creative insights to our industry. So we, we want to talk about bringing new experiences to it. And this time today, I'm going to be talking about things that other brokers and agents either don't know or don't want you to know. What? You're going to talk trash about the other brokers? There are no bad brokers. There are all good ones out there. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, we're, you know, it, it's it's a touchy subject, but it's something that um, I, I'm tired of, of people having this assumption that we're all, you know, cut from the same cloth and we're all stamped equally because we're not. And when you're making the biggest investment of your life, yeah. it's important that you understand what some of the shenanigans are and how to avoid them. So, okay. so here to help me again is the lovely Kara Stewart. So we know that she's a frequent contributor here at OC Talk Radio, and she's a former journalist, so she interrogates me beautifully. She is currently... She's the lady in red today. Yeah. Yes. Yes. She is a media and marketing entrepreneur, and again, as mentioned, she's the chief brand officer of Veracity Real Estate, my company, so she keeps me on my toes. Thank you, Wendy. What a lovely, lovely introduction. And Paul, we're going to have some fun today because, as Wendy said, we're going to be talking about shenanigans and i'm irish i like shenanigans but i don't don't think you're talking about the fun shenanigans no 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 but it's not about talking trash about others in this industry we're entering a different kind of market now Mm -hmm. and as we've been sharing the data of what could possibly happen recognizing that it's going to be even more important for buyers and sellers and investors to have even better working relationships with their brokers and agents Mm -hmm. and we're starting to see some bad behavior resurface and we want to be able to talk about that today one of the things i hope you talk about today and then i'll shut up is i hope you talk about the difference between the amateurs who pretend to be brokers and and real estate agents and the true pros have been doing this for years 
imagine if I could be a doctor ah, tomorrow. I just I'll go be a doctor. And right. I'm, I was bored. I'm at home. I'm looking for a second job. How tough can it be? You, you hand out pills. Um, or I wanted to be an accountant or I wanted to be anything. And yet, everybody knows somebody who just became a real estate agent. Well, and that's a very nuanced question with, with a nuanced answer. Mm-hmm. Because I, I would venture to say if someone is truly brilliant and they enter whatever profession, they're going to come into it freshly trained with the latest technology tools and a fresh perspective. And they may be fantastic compared to somebody who's done it for 30 years the same way and is not adjusted with the times. So there's argument on both sides of that fence. But so many were just part-timers have out, try it a little bit. You know, I'll do it for a few months. Like I told you, when I first came out of college, I sold uh, life insurance. What a horrible job. And I quickly realized they recruited us all in the hope that we'll bring a couple in. We'll bring our friends right. and family in. And most of you are going to fail, and that's probably okay. We'll go get a new crop. I think that's the way a lot of real estate companies look at I'm just going to keep bringing in people. They'll bring in a couple of deals, maybe. I, I think people just need to understand that in, in the world of real estate, it's like going to Vegas. The house always wins. <laughs> the broker is the house. Yeah. And the agents commonly are fairly dispensable. And the broker usually is not in, as invested in their agents as they are in their own bottom line. Right. And that's the tragedy of it. But it, it, this is not a not-for-profit people. <laughs> They're very much in it for the bottom line. And in the spirit of being truth seekers and truth tellers, Wendy also has some other examples and is going to open up her her, her war chest of stories to tell us about yeah, I some examples. Yeah, I went through and like ripped off the band-aid and opened old wounds to remember things that went horribly, horribly awry to share with you. And it will curl your hair. Yep. Good storytelling. Right. But before we get into that, we have to go to our tradition and the reason that even your show is called This Week with Wendy. Right. Right. Let's frame the market. What's happening in the market this week? Well, last as, week. as I alluded to last week, well, the last episode, um, the market's changing. And this past week that we just closed out was very, very telling of that. So we had 11% more listings come on the market. And that's great. That is, we should see 11, 15, 20% more listings come on the market week over week as we trend through August. However, only 422 went under contract. That was down 20% over the prior week. That is not moving in the right direction. And consistent with that, we sold 479 homes in the prior week. That was down 19%. These are not good numbers. So when more inventory is coming on the market, less is going off the market. We're starting to build up and accumulate more inventory. And that has manifested already in the days on market Remember, like I said last week, when I'm reporting the days on market here, it's how many days it took those homes that sold to come off the market. The homes that sold last week went under contract 30 to 45 days ago. The homes that are on the market right now that are just opening escrow, they're trending at about 35 to 40 days on market. So we're going from eight days on market to 35 or 40. That's a momentous shift, and that's not something you would expect in the peak summer period. So it's interesting. The median price um, shuffled down just a little bit, 2%. It's at 1,042,000 where it was 1,060,000. And the list price to close price ratio, while still strong, it's 104%. So typically we're getting a little bit more than we're asking for for our homes. But even that was down a little bit. It was down 2%. So what this is showing us, again, like I said, we're not trending up in terms of sales and new inventory. We're only trending up in terms of new inventory and sales are tapering off. Median price is also tapering off and expect that's going to continue to taper downward. And that does not mean people prices are falling. What it means is that we're selling fewer of the highest priced homes. So the middle point, the median is falling commensurately. Prices might fall, but not yet because there still isn't enough 
um, activity. There's just not enough lack of activity to create a, a plummet. And we're not going to see a plummet like we did in 08, 09, into 2010 and 2011. It's just not going to happen. This is more of a blip compared to a cataclysm like we had before. But moving into summer, these aren't the numbers that we want to see. And like I said last week, it's going to be a long Cold War summer. You know, buyers are already pulling off the market and saying, nope, I'm not going to pay these interest rates. Nope, I'm not going to pay that price. I'm going to wait for you to, you know, Mr. Seller to drop your price. The sellers are like, nope, I'm not going to sell for less than my neighbor did. And it's just going to be a whole lot of ho-hum. More for us to talk about. More for you to talk about. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're starting to have these conversations, some painful conversations with clients. Yeah. Because as you said, it really looks like that sales appear to have peaked in March. Mm-hmm. And you were talking with some clients in January and February and March and urging them to buy or sell at that time. Get on the market, get on the market. And some of them delayed. They were waiting for the summer. Yes. Well, look what that did. They were trying to time it. Mm -hmm. We can't. We can't use past historic norms um, as an indicator of, of what's going to happen now because normal is gone. What we used to know is irrelevant in terms of when to time the market. We have to watch it daily and weekly, which is why we have a show called This Week with Wendy. So we don't have to wait and make these silly, silly decisions far too late in the game. Is that why we don't call it This Year with Wendy? That's right, darling. You're a <laughs> smart one, Paul. <laughs> the semi-annual. <laughs> the semi-annual <laughs> week with Wendy. And yet that's what most people do. It's a, it's an annual economic outlook. It's mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. quarterly something here. Mm-hmm. And you're dealing with something that moves significantly week in and week out. Well, like I was telling Kara the other day, it's like I really pushed myself to get my end of month reports out to the world before we get two weeks into the next month because everyone else nationally and statewide and even locally, the big companies, and I am not faulting that, they're just giant ships which turn more shut slowly. They tend to get the reports out 30 and even 60 days after the fact, and that's too late. That is too late. When you get your data, you need to make sure it's really fresh and that it's hyper-local. Because if it's not super current, super recent, and hyper-local, it's not relevant. And speaking of hyper-relevant and hyper-local and (laughs) hyper-current, your May market report Mm -hmm. is going to be coming out by the end of the week, right? Correct. Okay, so how do you want people to be able to subscribe to that? Go to my favorite website, mine. Uh, realveracity.com and under contact us which is a tab across the top a box will open up and you can subscribe right then and there which will allow me to send it directly to your inbox so that's the best way you'll get on the distribution list and that way I can't forget Um, and let's just get you on there so you can see what's going on and a, a number of my what do you call friendly competitors? Mm-hmm. I play nicely with others. A lot of other real estate agents and brokers subscribe to my reports because they they don't have the bandwidth to do this sort of data gathering. I'm kind of a super nerd, so happy to help people. But we all need the, we all need good data. You're a data diva. You're a data That's diva. Right. I'm gonna have a hat made. I have it like. A tiara, perhaps. Oh. I like that, a tiara, data diva. Okay, so data diva, you just mentioned that Mm. even some of your competitors Mm. do subscribe to your market report so that they can share this information with their clients, and Mm. you're happy to do that because Mm. the better informed everyone is, the stronger our market will be, and that's just who you are as a broker, which is really why you set out and created Veracity. Paul always talks about the top of the show being truth tellers and truth seekers, and you have a little bit of a different way of building your business Mm -hmm. and working with clients and agents. And a lot of that has been informed by, if I may, some of the bad behavior that you've seen. Yes. So as we were working through show notes here and you were preparing what you wanted to share, we talked about really the five signs of a bad real estate agent. Mm -hmm. 
And just so everyone knows, she actually had a little bit of angst of settling on that. And I convinced I her to because she didn't want to be just universally saying that a real estate agent is bad and you know wanted to caveat with perhaps her broker hasn't prepared them with the right information mm-hmm. or a lot of other factors. But as we're looking at the market and what could be happening this summer, mm-hmm. it's becoming even more important for buyers and sellers and investors to understand and to be able to separate the good from the perhaps just just not right for them, but that's not as sexy as in a title. All right, fine. It's it's yes, and I can be okay with that. Um, and, and just sort of, I want to harken back to Paul's comment about how way back in the dark ages he worked for an insurance company, and real estate is the same in that there is a broker and there are agents of the broker. And what what I want the world to understand is that the broker is accountable for everything that their agents say and do. And so the broker, if they are, like me, accountable for what their agents say and do, they should be watching what they say and do. They should be training them. They should be interfacing constantly. My agents do not send a purchase contract out anywhere without copying me on it. I actually look at it. That is rare. And that is tragic that that is rare. I look at every single thing my agents do. I train my agents personally. And when there are legal updates, I deliver them personally so you're telling me that every broker doesn't do that that some of them just got too many or too busy and it's just okay throw it out we'll fix it out later maybe here many agents in these these larger houses you know these larger brokerage houses if you will don't even know who their broker of record is they've never met them wow yeah wow how scary is that so here you are selling the biggest asset you've ever had in your life, and the agent who's in front of you doesn't talk to the person who's responsible for their work. You know what that reminds me of? This is a strange analogy, but you know, on other shows I've talked about taking care of my late mom, dad, aunt as they went through end-of-life mm-hmm. struggles and nursing homes and all that kind of stuff. And when you get into these assisted living facilities, it's awful. And one of the things that's really awful about it is your doctor can't come in anymore. You're mm-hmm. under the auspices of supposedly a doctor, but this doctor works for 20 of these centers. Right. He comes in for two seconds and looks right. at you, and the rest of the time you're there, people are making life and death decisions about you mm-hmm. without your regular physician being involved, mm-hmm. giving you prescriptions, doing things, and they don't really even know who the doctor is that supposedly is overseeing this whole thing. It's very much the same. That's a great analogy. It's it's <laughs> unfortunate. And, and I just want the world at large to understand this. You know, that is the difference between a broker and an agent. And I am not saying a broker is better than an agent. There are some fantastic agents out there I have great, great respect for. There are some brokers out there who are bloody idiots and I never want to cross their path again. So, And we're going to list all those in the show notes we are. here today. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into that. So in your opinion, Wendy, what makes a good agent? First and foremost, good communication. You know, you've got to have good, solid, frequent communication. Um, and, and the way you do that is you establish with the client how they like to be communicated with. You know, some like phone calls, some like texts, some like email. Just find out how they like to be communicated with and then do that. But you need to have open, honest, frequent communication. Um, and, and the professional, the real estate professional, really needs to know their market well. Um, they also need to be a data analyst because you've got to watch the numbers. Like we've seen here every week, it was Groundhog Day. Boring, 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 boring. And then whoops, things suddenly changed. you got to watch the numbers because they will sneak up on you like a tidal wave. A really true real estate professional fights for the buyers and sellers, not just for their commission. Mm. Who is the client here? We are fiduciaries. It is our responsibility to do what is in the best interest of the buyer and seller. That means advocate for them. Your commission will follow. Don't focus on the commission. The money will follow. 
earn it first. Can I ask you one question about that? I'm sorry mm -hmm. to keep butting in here, but that brings up an interesting point of pricing. Mm -hmm. Too often I've had people say, I, we went through a selling thing, they just kept jacking it up just, and that was a sound appealing, okay. And then it didn't sell, didn't sell, and then they just come in and say, mm -hmm. just drop it, just cut the whole thing. And it's like, it was almost like they were just ready to cut loose and be done with this house sale. And they wanted you to. So there wasn't any real thought of what we're going to do. I, I just want to get in and get out of the sale as quick as I can. The broker wanted to make his money. Agent wanted to make his bunch of money. Mm -hmm. The home seller did too. And when that didn't happen immediately, they just come and say, well, you just got to drop the price now. Boom, boom, boom. I just want to get out of this thing. Just sell I think the darn thing. Th that you're, you're just underscoring the importance of my first point, good communication. Because yeah. if you come into the pricing strategy with the client and you say, this is what I'm seeing in the market. This is what your neighbors have done. Exactly. This is what's trending. This is where I think we should start. I agree with, with not leaving money on the table. I agree with, like, let's let's go for the high water mark. But let's also be aware and talk constantly that if we're not getting traction within the first two weeks, we are going to discuss reducing this price. So it's not suddenly coming out of the blue. You talked about it in advance. Communication cures all evils. So It's not just because yeah. they want to get it, flip the house and get out of this thing. No, it's not. And not, the buyer's like, like well, I, wait a minute. I don't think that's the case because the lazy agent actually underprices it. They actually come mm. in low because then they look like rock stars if they sell it for more. And, and I'll get to that. And that's one of the bad behaviors we want to get to, Paul. Okay, good. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah we're going to talk okay. about that. So, Wendy, go back to our question, please. Mm -hmm. What else makes a good real estate agent? What should our listeners be looking for and trying to find in a person they select? Okay, so after communication, knowing at the market, being a data cruncher, you've got to have solid communication skills and a big part, I'm sorry, solid negotiation skills. And a big part of being a negotiator is getting along nicely with your brethren. Because a lot of agents and brokers, as you've seen on the reality TV shows, are kind of jerky. I mean, they're frankly, a lot of them are just assholes. You know, and if someone has to come across the table now and negotiate with this person who is just a snot, how well is that going to go? All agents, for the most part, think I'm super friendly and I like all of them. The ones that I detest don't know I detest them. And there's a reason for that, because I may actually have to negotiate with them one day. I can personally, quietly, in my little heart of hearts, you know, wish that they would get out of the industry, but they don't have to know that. We are there to negotiate for our clients. We are there to make the good outcomes for our clients. Our personal feelings do not matter. We need to know how to negotiate with the other person. And sometimes that means playing to their ego. Sometimes that means letting them feel like it was their decision. Negotiating is a highly nuanced skill. So, and it's not something that can be taught in a book. You know, sometimes you do need to mentor into someone to really understand how to negotiate. And that goes for all things in life. We're always, all of us, negotiating, whether we admit it or not. We're all negotiating, we're all in sales, and we're all in marketing, whether or not we admit it. Right. And and I think we, we cannot underscore the importance of being proactive. We have to be super proactive. If we're out there as professionals marketing for our clients and we're not getting the results that we want, we need to be ready to pivot. We need to be ready to try something fresh. We need to have several other arrows in our quiver so that we can respond to necessary changes. And part of that, again, is being willing to immediately deliver news to our client, whether it be good or bad. A lot of people don't like delivering bad news. Gee, the market just shifted. Suddenly, you know, escrows dropped 20%, inventory kicked up 11%. Uh-oh, we need to pay attention to this. We may need to respond to this. This is not something a seller wants to hear, but it is something a seller must hear. So a professional will deliver the news, good and bad. They've, they've just got to be proactive and upfront. And I've also heard you say that sometimes the hesitancy in being proactive and delivering that bad news is goes hand in hand with whether or not the agent fully understands the dynamics pushing it right. and can articulate it. So that goes back into being a good analyst and knowing the local area well and just being the top of your game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
you've developed this list and more um, <laughs> based on some stories that we've been going to talk about in just More a second healthy. now. Yeah. And also, you know, we, we, we certainly understand, as with every profession, there are more good than bad, but there definitely are some bad actors. Mm-hmm. And these are who we want to be talking about today, not by name. No, no, no. However, if you see any of this behavior, you're welcome to let us know or call it out because we think that's fun too. Mm-hmm. So as we we're preparing for this, Wendy, you really focused on about five things that some agents do and if a buyer or seller sees this behavior run Mm -hmm. don't walk away from them Mm -hmm. so the first one is what we talked about just being incompetent and deceptive right and you were sharing a story that when the market was bleeding out a few years ago you saw something really astounding Mm -hmm. if you, you take us back there short sales abounded most of the sellers were in this race against the clock because right. they were pending foreclosures. Right. It was a frantic, scary time for everyone. And because of that, the worst of the worst came out. It was really shocking. And this is a really good example of a highly nuanced transaction. It was a short sale um, and it was pending foreclosure. We don't have those today, but this is this is a great example of buyers and sellers when you're entering into a negotiation or you're considering um, hiring an agent to negotiate for you on anything, get into the weeds in advance. Talk to them about the nuance of what is this going to look like? How are we going to do this? Wh- what do I need to expect next? You know, explain all of these moving parts to me. And if they can't immediately explain all the moving parts of your process, they're probably not the best person for you. Because someone who has done this for a long time can anticipate what problems might lay on the road ahead. And that's a good agent. That's a good doctor. That's a good attorney. A good attorney will say, this is our goal. And we might we might encounter A, B, and C. We might not. But if we encounter A, B, and C, this is what we'll do. You know, and this is a prime example of this. I had buyers, and they were in the market, and this was, I believe it was 2010. Um, so there was still a little bit of room to go, a little bit of runway for the higher-end homes. They were still falling in price. And there was a super luxury home in, in Quail Hill in Irvine. And what really broke my heart was that the sellers were very nice people who were immigrants who didn't speak English very well at all. So they relied heavily on their agent to take care of them. Um, and having been in the industry forever, I, of course, pull all title records for target properties my buyers are going to buy, and I examine what's going on, especially in a market like this, where most people were in, they were facing pending foreclosure, they had to negotiate with their banks to get a short sale approved because they were going to sell for less than they owed their banks. Their banks had to bless that transaction. And when I pulled the title records for this transaction, I saw there were three loans. There was the first big loan, there was a second smaller mortgage, and there was a third line of credit through an L.A. bank. So we opened escrow with this person who was a local expert, super well-known agent, by the way, right? Big established company, big agent, local expert. Yeah, big swing in D, you know the type. Anyway. So we get into escrow, and I'm asking the escrow officer, so how is it going with the negotiation? Do you have the uh, short sale approved with all the lenders? She's like, yeah, we got the first, we're getting the second. And I was like, what about the third? And she didn't say anything. And I'm like, what about the third? And finally, like the third time I called her on this, she started crying. She goes, I'm not supposed to tell you. The listing agent didn't want her to tell me there was a third loan that they hadn't negotiated with. The client called crying. No, the escrow officer. escrow officer called crying because it was asked a lie. Yeah, yeah. So I went back to my clients and had said, because they knew that I knew there was three loans, and I called the bank that held the third loan and said, I represent the buyer of this property. Here's the parcel number. Here's your loan number. Um, Are you aware that it's being sold? And they were like, no. 
I'm like, what's the payoff balance for your loan? And they're like, we can't tell you that. And I'm like, well, I see untitled. This is the original loan amount. They're like, that's roughly right. So I went back to my client and was like, okay, it's going to be, it was like $40,000. I'm like, you're probably going to have to pay $40,000 to clear title on this at the last minute. Because this other idiot child isn't taking care of his business and isn't taking care of his client, right? And my clients, and they had seen shenanigans with this guy. He was just running interference, not letting us into the property to inspect, arguing with everything we tried to do, arguing with the inspectors. He was just difficult three ways from Sunday. And when they realized that he hadn't even started negotiating with the bank on the third loan, they're like, we're out. So we canceled the escrow and this guy actually called me and threatened me. Threatened you with what? Bodily harm. (gasps) He actually threatened me. Ooh, I know. Now, this, you started to show off with a good story. I can't right? believe this. Isn't there some, you're all uh, licensed? Isn't mm-hmm. there some mm-hmm. overview of this? Absolutely. Uh, I filed a complaint against him. And you know what happens? Absolutely nothing. Just one of a stack. I can't prove he broke a law. I can't prove he willfully and intentionally did things that disserviced his client. I can't prove it. Oh, the best part of this, I forgot. The reason that this house hadn't sold before my client came along was because he mistyped, or someone on his team, mistyped the price in the MLS. And instead of being 1.4 million something, it was 14 million something (laughs) for like 30 days. There's a big mistake. And the clock is ticking on their foreclosure. They didn't have 30 days to burn. He didn't even check his own listing to make sure the price was right. So gross negligence negligence. in something that could have been so easily fact-checked. Right. Right. So buyers and sellers, if you hire someone, check the MLS and make sure they put the price in right. Typos happen. So what do you do as a consumer? Because you assume that because they're licensed, their mm-hmm. agencies are overseeing them and the bad apples get kicked mm-hmm. out. And yet we know, we hear about attorneys that do gross negligence, doctors mm-hmm. that do gross malpractice, mm-hmm. and somehow they just get covered up and it keeps just going on. Does the industry try and hide the bad apples because they think yes. it'll yes, tarnish they do. everybody here? Yes, but consumers can go to the California Department of Real Estate website. That's what I'm looking for. And on the landing page, a box opens up for consumers. It says, I want to verify someone's license and I want, want to check for um, complaints and disciplinary actions. It's right there. You can check. You, you so if, it. Yeah, so if, if our listeners are seeing some of these other stories that we're mm-hmm. going to talk about, now they know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. All and, right. And get this. If someone, if a consumer asks me, what do you think about John Doe? And I say, he's known to be deceptive. He's been sued three times. He can sue me. I'm not allowed to say that. Wow. I am not allowed to tell the truth about someone who's a bad actor, which is really frustrating. So you just say, go to the site and check it out yourself. Yeah, I, can't I have say to say, anything. go to the site and check it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of silence in this room. We have to be know. our own advocates. <laughs> All right. So own. bad behavior number one we just covered. Incompetent and deceptive agents. Mm-hmm. Bad behavior number two somewhat goes hand in hand with an even more shocking story. Mm. Bad behavior number two, right, is not looking out for the seller's best interests, like bailing on a client. Yeah. This blew my mind. I had lunch just a couple weeks ago with a mortgage broker friend of mine and an attorney, and we were talking and sharing war stories and horror stories. And the, the broker friend of mine said, yeah, this buddy of mine didn't even consult with me, just hired some local expert, the big name that we all see, you know, because they're, they're paying for this great marketing. 
how do you think they're paying for this great marketing, right? You know, they're all about their own bottom line. Anyway, so this big swing and D local expert dude um, put their $5 million house on the market and didn't discuss with them the nuance, didn't discuss with them, here's what comes next. Just said, I can get you this much money. I'm the big man on campus. Everyone knows my name. Sign here. And they're like, okay, great. Fairly immediately, they got a really great offer. And with very little negotiation, he's like, you should take this. This is great. They're like, great. They accepted the offer. They thought that their agent, who is so awesome, was going to help them figure out where to move next. They didn't have the conversation with him about that before they accepted the offer. And more importantly, the agent didn't have the conversation with them about where are you going to go? Where are you going to move? None of that was said. So their buyer came along. They negotiated, we're going to buy this house for you know $5 million plus whatever dollars, and you're going to get the heck out on this day. And so later when the sellers were like, um, hey, agent of ours who loves us so much, help us find another place to live. And he was like, oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I don't do that. And didn't tell them as well that rents were going up as fast and rentals were just as hard to find as houses were to buy. They ended up going, I think it was like the Pelican Resort, and paying an exorbitant amount of money to have short-term housing because they had nowhere to go. And he had no intention of helping them and never at the beginning of the listing discussed with them, where are you going to go? Not making your client homeless is a very small bar. I mean, that is the minimum mandate, please. It is my job not to make someone homeless. We are fiduciaries. So what would you have done in that situation? You're having the discussion of, we can sell your home. However, the housing market is very tight. The rental Mm -hmm. market is just as tight. Mm -hmm. What options would that client, that consumer have had? They should have pre-disclosed in the listing. The seller may need to rent back after closing for a while while they secure new housing. You know, you discuss it at the onset. It's commonly done. This market, the COVID market, is like no other. We have seen really protracted, extended stays after escrow like I've never seen in my career. I negotiated one where a client stayed six six months after they sold their house to the other party, and they didn't pay rent the entire time. It was a six-month freebie. I I think now the market is softening. We're not going to see that as much. But you at least have to disclose the possibility. You have to negotiate for that possibility because negotiating for your client is our job. That's our responsibility. Our job is to put people into homes, not render them homeless. And this dude just wanted the commission on the $5 million sale, and that is all he cared about. I don't suppose he ponied up the money to pay for that fancy resort for them. Not according to what I heard. Wow. Nope. Just doesn't. That, that's shocking, really. That really is. Yeah. If and people... it happens all the time. And consumers don't understand how egregious it is. They're like, oh, I should have known to ask. Oh, it's my bad. They don't even report it. They don't even complain about it. But they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. And if the neighbors go, oh, Joe Blow sold my neighbor's house for $5 million plus million, I'm going to call Joe Blow. And Joe Blow continues to get business, even though he's a buffoon. And that kind of leads into our next bad behavior. Mm. So we've talked about that the first bad behavior is incompetent and deceptive agents. Then we've gone into the profile of the agent who's not looking out for the seller's best interests. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Bad behavior number three is the local expert, and if you can't see us, we're using air quotes, air quotes. Um, who doesn't give good service, mm-hmm. or let's just say they don't give a shit. Let's yes. just, just let's come out and say it. You guys are can saying we, it out loud Can we do that today, Paul? First we're, talking about, first, we're talking about swinging Ds, which I mean swinging dudes. I'm sure that's what <laughs> Dudes, <agreed>. yes. <laughs> I get that. There's a bunch of swinging dudes out there these days, and now we're don't well, give Well, this a. next one was actually a woman. So <laughs> do it's, that. It's, it's universally applicable. Yeah, yeah, All yeah, right, tell yeah. tell us about this this bad behavior. This local agent who just 
didn't give good service. And this is someone that I have seen in the marketplace for a long time. This is a veteran. This is someone who carved her market niche and and from all outward appearances worked very hard whenever I had run, run across her at you know professional engagements or open houses or whatever. Super friendly, super respectful. I thought this is really someone I can respect. And I was um, in a romantic relationship many, many years ago and he was not yet divorced. They, they had been separated for a while. You know, I'm not a homewrecker. Anyway, um, and they went to, they needed to sell their house. So obviously the wifey didn't want me to do it. I get it, fine. So I had to recommend someone else. And I researched this person and I researched her track record to make sure she wasn't the queen of double ending things because I think that's a bad thing. Um, and I'd seen her and found her to be respectful and said, I think you should call this woman because she, she does very well for her clients. She gets good pricing. She has an underpriced, an overpriced. I, I, that's who I would call. I had no idea how she was on the backside of things. I only saw that the face that she showed the public and the world, and I was blown away by her indifference when she actually got a client under contract. She became this tyrant. So I, I heard from my boyfriend, he was like, well, yeah, she came in and she just started trashing our house and talking about how everything was wrong and we had to paint and we had to stage. And I'm like, well, yeah, okay, that, I, that, I, I can't argue with that. You've lived in it. It's tired. You know, painting and staging is really common. But she was just snotty about it. And she wouldn't give them multiple staging companies to pick from or multiple painters. They had to use her painter. They had to use the staging company, which from you know my perspective was really expensive um and and she was just mean about it and she wasn't about let me help you get your things out she didn't care it's like just get your shit out you know boom 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 this is what you're gonna do if you want to work with me this is how we're gonna do it and she was just really really aggro right and then she did end up getting them a really really nice price i was very impressed by that but once they were in escrow she just started delivering documents to them and if anybody's been in escrow recently it is just an avalanche of paperwork you need someone to explain what the heck all this stuff means right she didn't explain anything just here's this here's this here's this here's this here's this and they the sellers didn't understand that she wasn't negotiating anything so the buyers came along the buyers did their inspection as they should the buyer's inspector gave them the laundry list of things that are wrong which is normal because unless a house is brand freaking new there's a laundry list of things that aren't perfect that's normal their agent these sellers their agent didn't say okay here's the report these things are really common seldom do we repair these things because it's a used house and they're buying it as is and 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 instead she just said here's what the buyers want you to fix and the sellers thought they had no choice and they just said okay and they signed it. So my boyfriend then was like freaking out one day. I'm like, what's the, what, what's going on? And he goes, I can't find this, this piece, this part for our dishwasher, and I have to fix the dishwasher. And I'm like, what? It's a 10-year-old dishwasher. You're not going to find a part for that. Why are you doing this? Well, because she said I had to. I'm like, what? You know, and we got into the weeds, and I was blown away. And they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. And why was she doing just to make it uh, just get it done? She was just, just like not paying. It, I don't know why she wasn't paying attention. She probably had one of her underlings managing the escrow while she went on to go sign the next, next listing agreement. She probably wasn't even paying attention anymore, you know, but we need to negotiate until the escrow closes. And then people, your agent should be there on the day of closing. If you're a buyer to make sure what you're signing is correct, because it's not always. Can I tell you my little war story on that whole thing? I only I haven't bought a house in 20-some years, right? Mm -hmm. The one I currently live in. And we went in 
no great real estate agent. We just, whoever, we, we happened to stumble into an open house on our own, and the person that was representing the seller is now representing us, the Now, that's buyer. a great idea. Yeah, wasn't that a great idea? Yeah, they got your interests at heart. They're not going to yeah. protect the seller. That's a bonus bad behavior was, we just shared with I you. I got double bonus bad behavior. <laughs> so, ding, 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 we have a winner. So we want this house, and we go in there, and it mm-hmm. comes time to close escrow. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't done this but once or twice in my life. Right. There is a stack that looks like the, the old-fashioned phone books. Big, right. fat stack of stuff. And I start reading it, and the escrow agent says, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to read all this. She says, we don't have time for that. i got four more people waiting behind you. Just start signing as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. My agent is not, the agent is not there. Mm-hmm. Nobody's there. Mm-hmm. I'm looking around, help, mama. Right. And I got mad. And I called the California Department of Real Estate. Good for you. Is this what I'm supposed to do? And you get some ombudsman. They said, no way. And one of the things that shocked me was, I guess this is common practice, maybe not more because after they wrote all these new rules and regulations a few years ago Mm -hmm. after the meltdown. Mm -hmm. But at that time, the closing costs had changed dramatically mm-hmm. and at the end it says oh you got to come up with the number four thousand dollars right and i just barely to the penny had mm-hmm. enough to do it i said whoa whoa after i sort through the stack now you want another four thousand dollars right well because the rate changed to this and it was all based on estimates and blah 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 and double talk and yeah. that's what it is right now that's what i'm talking 30 about. seconds you got to sign we want more money mm-hmm. and i called back and they said no 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 you don't have to do that blah 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 and they got on the phone and suddenly the magic costs went away Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess mm-hmm. we'll take it what it as it was stated. And I thought, were they just trying to jack me up at the last second, or is this know. commonplace? It but. was either deceptive or it was just incompetence or a little bit of both. Usually, it's a little bit of both. Usually, they're incompetent, and then when they realize, uh oh, I made a mistake, then they try to cover it up. And because they're only in pursuit of their own commission, not mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. the client's best interests. Mm-hmm. Most most listing agents, and I'm not saying all. Many of them, especially the ones you see, I sold 100 houses last year. It is functionally impossible for one human being to be at, at every step of the, pro- of the process for 100 people in 12 months because there's too many moving parts, to your point. Right. There's just too much to explain. There's too much to oversee. There's too many inspections to review. There's too many legal disclosures to review on both sides. I mean, sellers, I don't expect my sellers to know all the environmental impact of the home that they lived in, lived in for 20 years. You know, I need to help them understand what all of this stuff means. It's too heavily nuanced. But the way the business works these days is brokers value and reward those agents who bring in the most contracts, period. The way that agents do that is they have a team under them that does all the grunt work. So they smile and they go out there and they shake hands and they kiss babies and they make you love them and you sign at the X and then you never see them again, which is what happened to you, Paul. Or, and, and on top of it, they call up at the last second and they pressure you yeah, through yep, the escrow because yeah. they. this woman picked the escrow company. I didn't know an escrow mm-hmm. company. It's her escrow company. Mm-hmm. It's her thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the whole deal is, whether she's getting a kickback or not. The escrow companies are usually owned by the brokerage houses, so they're getting money. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a revenue stream. It was just horrible. Yeah. I never. Yeah. It was the most horrible experience of my life. That's what I'm talking about. Exactly. Well, we can prevent that from, from <laughs> hopefully. You can? From, well, yeah. <laughs> There's so many ways. Let's and, talk about a couple more bad behavior, though. <laughs> All right. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's, there's more, more because oh, the last two might be the juiciest, and I really want to make sure we have time to get to them. All right. So we've talked about deceptive, we've talked about incompetent, but sometimes 
we've seen agents, and we're asked this a lot by clients, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. see agents who try to pretend that they have an inside track and actually are giving people this white glove service by offering private listings. Right. So Wendy is here to sh- say that if you see bad mm-hmm. behavior number four, the special agent who offers, again, air quotes, private, private listings, listings run away. Right. Um, You've also referred to these, I think, as the famous pocket listing. Mm-hmm. Tell me where they, what they, what this means, where they are, and this came about because as we were on social media this past weekend, looking mm-hmm. at some competitors and others, we see one in uh, Corona Del Mar who mm-hmm. lists private listings all the time, bragging about closes off market sale. It's like that a. I wouldn't brag about that because you're just telling the world that you put your commission in front of your seller's bottom line. Because anyone, I don't care how famous they are, if Barack Obama put a house on the market and it wasn't on the internet, he didn't get as many eyeballs on it as he should have. So and that's I what pocket Barack. listing means. Saying, that's what pocket listing means. Pocket listing means it's not on the internet. It's not in the MLS. It's quiet. It's an off-market listing. And you know, if you're the Pope, if you're the president, maybe, maybe, it, it, actually more if you're like a federal you know, criminal judge, a criminal court judge, all right, then maybe you want to have a pocket listing because you don't want the world coming into your house and knowing where you live. But apart from that, there's no reason for it except that it, it, it helps the agent make more money. You know, they don't have to compete with somebody else. It's all about the brokerage because the house always wins. So then, ostensibly, that that agent would be handling both the buying and the selling. Usually they do. Usually they do. And and they, they deliver this this, their proposal to have a quiet listing so artfully that it's really easy to see how people fall for it. Things like, this is a very, very, very special house. I mean, this is a multi-million dollar house. It's bespoke. There is nothing like it. And your things, just your wife's shoe collection, there's millions of dollars in that closet. I wouldn't let just anyone in that door. No one is going to come see your house without me being there. I promise you, I will be there for every showing. I will watch everyone carefully. I will carefully vet everyone who wants to come in to make sure they they can even afford this house before they come. And you think, that sounds really good. They're really looking out for me. This is what I should Mm -hmm. do. And this person, I see their name everywhere. Of course, they're very well connected. So if there's a good buyer and there's a well-heeled buyer, this person's going to find it for me. So I don't need to go on the internet. I don't need for my neighbors to know I'm selling my house. I don't have to do all that. But the reality reality is that your house needs to be on the internet to get top dollar period and it has been so well acknowledged studies have shown that off-market sales very seldom yield the highest price for the seller once in a blue moon they do but you know even a broken clock is right is you know right twice a day so it's like that is not something you should hang your hat on it back in the downturn the blood path that i mentioned earlier Institutional lenders, when they foreclosed on properties, for the first time in history, demanded that their bank-owned assets be put in the MLS. They demanded that they be marketed on the Internet because even the institutional lenders knew that was the way to get the most eyeballs on it. And with anything, if you're selling anything, the more people are aware that it's for sale, the more people will compete to buy it and the higher price you'll get. Period. End of story. That is the whole story. And I don't care who you think you are or how special you think you are. I was doing some research yesterday just for fun to see, okay, so who recently has put their, you know, their mega mansion on the market? So MBA's Ben Simmons had his house listed openly, publicly. NASCAR's Greg Bethel did. Neil Patrick Harris, we love him, How I Met Your Mother. His house was conspicuous on the market. Janet Jackson, Mark Wahlberg, Betty White, Sylvester Stallone, they all publicly put their homes on the market. So if anybody in Orange County thinks that they're more important or more special or more status than that, I really kind of doubt it. 
I do. I doubt it. No one's more special than Doogie Howser. Now, please. <laughs> now, in an industry that craves disclosure mm-hmm. and there's such regulation, why is this allowed? You know, what's interesting is that we, a lot of us, a lot of brokers like me, are heavily advocating against the pocket listing because there is no way to prove that you didn't do something wrong. I mean, I know that I could represent a seller and I could bring a buyer to them and I know I could advocate fiercely for both of them. But at the end of the day, after that sale is closed, if a year goes by and the buyer goes, hey, wait a minute, I don't think she fought very hard for me. I think she was fighting harder for the seller and she decides to sue me because she feels that I didn't disclose something or I was willfully negligent. How do I prove I didn't do something? It's an it's an indefensible position, and it's not a position I ever want to be in, because I can't prove I didn't do something that's very hard to prove. And and for that reason, many states have already actually outlawed it. Pocket listings or and dual agency are against the law in Alaska, Colorado, Florida, Kansas, Maryland, Texas, Wyoming, and Vermont. It is against the law to have one agent on both sides of a transaction in all of those states. Why do we think that is people it's a bad idea. So here in Orange idea. County, here in California, it mm-hmm. is legal, but don't do it. About 20% of our sales are done with the same agent on both sides. That's like fighting in court over something and having the same attorney on both sides. How is that going to work? You know what? I fell, I fell for this a little bit. I was stupid. I fell for a little bit of the con. One, because she had this house and I didn't have an agent. I was just out, out looking, right? Mm-hmm. On my own and going to open houses. And two... It's going to save me money. Right. And did it save you money at closing? Money. Well, only because you called the stake as you were only. smart enough to get mad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But otherwise, it was going to cost you money. Yeah. Exactly. You don't know what you don't know. And having an agent who is responsible to look out for the seller's best interest is a scary thing if you're the buyer. Because if this is a caveat emptor state, people. What that means is let the buyer beware. It is the buyer's responsibility to understand all about what he's doing and that includes understanding everything about the physical property understanding everything about the environment in which it is situated understanding everything about the legal components of this transaction someone who doesn't do real estate for a living cannot be expected to know that they can't i have real estate attorneys hire me in fact right now i have a listing and the owner is a real estate attorney and he wants me to help him with it because he understands i understand all the nuance of this and he doesn't want to go at it alone you need your own advocate, period, end of story. Trusted advisors to trusted advisors. Yes. All right, we've promised you the five signs of a bad real estate agent. Mm-hmm. The first one was incompetent and deceptive. Mm-hmm. Bad behavior number two, not looking out for the seller's best interests, like bailing on a client. Bad behavior number three was the local expert who doesn't give good service. And the fourth bad behavior was the special agent who says private listings are better, and we just learned why. So bring us home. What is the fifth bad behavior? You're talking always about this lion in the marketplace mm-hmm. who, instead of deliberately jacking up prices, is mm-hmm. deliberately undervaluing homes. Mm-hmm. Why does that happen, and why is this bad? This one, um, it's so tragic, I just have to laugh. My agent, Gina, you know Gina, I love her. I love my Gina Odo. If anybody wants a really, really, really great agent in North County, Gina Odo, Gina Odo, Gina Odo. She's a rock star. I love her. So she was writing offers for a client, and they were shopping in a certain North Orange County city. I shan't name it, because if I do, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. And she was like, 
oh my gosh, there's this one agent and we keep writing offers and he counters and he counters with a price. He doesn't ask us for our highest and best. And then we say, okay. And then he, com- then he counters back with a higher price and a higher price and a higher price and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth they go like tennis until her head hurts, right? And I was like, is it so-and-so? And she was like, how'd you know? And I'm like, because I have seen this show before. This person has another family member to whom he is related. I won't name because then you'll know who I'm talking about. So this person came into the business because an older family member was already in the business and learned the ropes from said family member. And they're very famous in this community and done lots and lots of deals for decades. And so everyone just assumes that they're experts because they've been at it for so long and their name is so well known. Their name is their brand, right? So they hire these people and what they don't know is that his strategy is to deliberately underprice homes because then he just has to sit back on his sofa and the world beats a path to the door. Dozens and dozens of people stampede into this property. And the yesterday, Gina was complaining, going, yeah, he said, I've got 42 offers on this property. We haven't seen 42 offers on listings for two or three weeks. That ship has sailed. But he still is because he's grotesquely underpricing. And I mean like by 15, 20% underpricing. So people just compete and they bring the price up to wherever the market is. He doesn't have to work very hard. And then he can go later to the neighbor and go, oh, yeah, I just sold your neighbor's house for 20% of a list. Sign here. And they fall for it and they do. They don't bother to check that his list price was too low. Wow. Just one big game. One big game. One big game. A game in which the consumer is not winning. <laughs> right. All it's right. tedious. All right, kids. We promised you five signs of a bad real estate agent and we delivered it. I've got like 105, but we don't have time. <laughs> I know, I know. We have to just you know, keep listening to us. And you're able to keep listening to us. Paul, would you would you give a shout out to our special sponsor? And then before we end the show, Wendy has a big announcement for next week. Okay. Mm-hmm. Two big announcements, actually. Two big announcements. All right. Well, I'll do this quickly because we're running along here, but we certainly want to call out our friends at Ford and Diulio. They're one of our strategic partners. They're the sponsor of this show. They've been a guest on the show, and they were founded on a simple concept of aligned interests. Experienced attorneys from big law firms said it can be done different, where their success is directly related to the value they achieve for the clients, what we're talking about today, where they're rewarded for being efficient and effective and not just dragging out the litigation. And where they engage in the relentless pursuit, that's the key, relentless pursuit, clients' goals, whether in litigation, mediation, or trial. We're talking about Ford Diulio, F-O-R-D-D-I-U-L-I-O. Check them out, too, as well today. There you go. Back to you. Fabulous. Okay, thanks, Paul. Um, And, Kara, yeah, thanks for reminding me. I do have a couple of really, really big things to talk about. Two minutes. Okay. Claude Parrish, the Orange County Assessor, live and in person, June 15th. We have a lunch meeting with him. There's not much room left. So if you are an advisor, a wealth advisor, a tax advisor, a legal advisor, and you want to ask some questions of the assessor because tax codes changed a lot relative to property taxes, find me. Find me on LinkedIn. There's a LinkedIn invitation. It is the only way to get on the RSVP list. So find Wendy Ross or Veracity Real Estate on LinkedIn and get the invitation. Um, or, of course, I was hacked, as you know, on Instagram. I have a new Instagram. It's at the real Wendy Ross. You can go there. And you can also get access to this invitation. So sign up and come join us in two weeks, just under two weeks. Um, and then, of course, you just need to subscribe to my show, and then you'll always know what's going on. So go to my website, like we said before, Real Veracity, and hit the contact tab and sign up. Or just, you know, listen in every week. Apple, iTunes. This week. Who's going to be our guest real quick next oh, week? 
Jonathan Lansner. Oh, is he coming on? Cool. He's a cool guy. The OC Register real estate expert. He is the man everyone listens to, and he's going to come and have a live tete-a-tete with me. He's coming to here, to your show? Here next week. Look at who you know. All right. All right. I'm hanging with you this week with Wendy. Thanks, guys.